Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. I want to I want to move forward tonight in the apostolic family. There is a chapter. Uh, part of a chapter that is called The Blessings and the Methods of Peace. And a portion of it is written by an apostolic doctor. And uh, so I would encourage you to please read the chapter as it has much more illustrative information and he uses some things that he learned uh, as a doctor dealing with certain situations. Uh, But I think it is important, I'll just say this before we jump in, It's it's important that we understand that there are people in the medical community who love God, that there are degree doctors who will direct you to the word of God and who believe very strongly in the word of God and in God's ability to help us. So maybe you've never met one, but they exist. All right? In fact, it's probably much more than what you think. There's something about dealing on a regular basis with life and death that brings the power of God and things happening that only God can do into uh, perspective. So although we crave peace as human beings, we, we, we crave it. Many don't experience peace the way that God intends for us to experience it. And I think that's a travesty. And I think we need to not just accept that as the way life is now. I'm I'm tired of people just saying, yeah, it's a chaotic world with chaotic lives and that's just how life is now. No, that might be how some people's lives are. But that's not how God intends our lives to be. And so Paul instructed a great church in, in the Philippian church, he instructed a great church how to bring more peace into their lives. And he says in verse seven, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Somebody just say, thank the Lord for that. Amen. That it shall happen. And it's not just my heart, but it's also my mind. There's a lot of people that will tell you that God is a God of the heart. There are people that will tell you that God is a God of the mind. We believe in a God that is the God of all of us, our entire being, right? Everything that we are. Verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. The Apostle Paul says, look, I have illustrated some things for you. I have shown you some things in my life. There is a reason why we have so much of the Apostle Paul's life, and that is because illustratively, beyond just what he says, how he lives and his actions can teach us so much. And he even says it and writes it. You've learned it, you've received it, you've heard it, you've seen it in me. He says, now you got to do those things. Somebody say, do it. 
do it. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that tonight, but so often the, the missing link that, that people don't have is just they just won't do it. They can tell you all day what needs to be done. They've read 15 books on how to make it better. They know that there's all kinds of stuff that you can do. They just won't do it. And if that's where we are, then that's where we are. But he says, look, you've heard it, you've received it, you've learned it, now do it. And then he follows it up with, and the God of peace shall be with you. And so that's the peace that we're looking for, and it comes from the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Now I want to point out something. I want to go a little bit more now detailed on this subject because Paul specifically wanted to help people to avoid anxiety. Everybody say anxiety. Now, anxiety has a definition. I think it's good when things have a definition because uh, we, can, we tend to take things in our culture and just kind of blow them up so big that they become the scary monster that everybody's so afraid of. But if something has a definition, that can help us. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain Outcome. Now, there's a psychiatry def definition that would say a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior or panic attacks. So, notice first, I just, and I please stay with me through this whole lesson tonight, okay? Don't shut me off at any point. Even if you disagree with me for a second, just hang on a little bit. We might all come back together. But I want you to notice first that anxiety is generally, by its own definition, defined as a feeling. Everybody say a feeling. By its own definition, it's defined as a feeling. And that's important that we note that because feelings are capable of being changed. Right? If you cut your arm off and it's irreplaceable, that's it. You can't change it, right? You can't just go down to the arm store and get another human arm. That's not how it works. But feelings are capable of changing, and that's something that we need to remember when we're dealing with anxiety and we're dealing with these types of things, that is capable of change, that we should be careful in claiming a permanent problem that can just be a temporary problem. And I'm going to talk about what we claim here in a little bit, okay? But, but let me just say right off the bat, you don't want to start claiming things as permanent in your life. If they are sinful, if they are negative, if they are fleshly, if they are destructive, you don't want to start claiming those things and say, well, this is just the way my life is. This is the way it's always going to be. You start claiming it's going to be a whole lot harder to get past it. And so I think it's important that we understand that this is something that is capable of being changed in someone's life. Paul said this in Philippians 4 and 6, Be careful for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. The word careful in its original Greek form means to be anxious about. So Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer, by say prayer. prayer. Supplication, say supplication. supplication. 
Thanksgiving. He says, with that, you need to let your request be made known unto God. So uh, these were, just so we're all on the same page, these were church people who were filled with the Spirit. These are people who had been delivered and forgiven, right? Justified and sanctified. These were gospel-believing witnesses of Christ but they needed some further instruction on how to deal with anxiety. Now, if you read Philippians, that's not the only thing they needed further instruction on. We all need further instruction, don't we? We're constantly needing further instruction. That's part about walking around in these, this flesh. But, but he's dealing here with this idea of dealing with and avoiding anxiety. Now, in the book, the doctor, uh, he speaks of different patients that he had, and he speaks of some of them that, that came to him, and they just said, I, I need a prescription. I need you to give me a prescription to this because that's what I need. And, and they wanted strong medications, and they wanted these things to be done, drastic measures, when he could easily tell what, what they really needed was not that. But what they really needed was a long-term answer for stress and for discouragement and for hopelessness. What they really needed in his Medical opinion was a biblical approach to life. They needed a more biblical approach to life. He, so he would, he would meet with people that were wanting dangerous medicines and surgeries and, and things for their problems, and physical issues that the doctors couldn't find. They couldn't diagnose it. They couldn't say, we know what's wrong with you. They would come in with all of these things. that They're, they're dying. There's issues. They've got pain in their body. They, they, this, But they can't find anything or any reason for it because Ultimately, for some of them, not all, we understand that, but for some of them, the core issues were emotional stress. They were trauma that they had gone through in their life, psychiatric trauma, mental trauma, um, very real and painful events that were causing them to have battles in their mind. Okay? Now, some of you are looking at me like, I don't know why you think you can talk about this. That's why I keep talking about this doctor. <laughs> read the book, okay? Just read the book. 85% of physical illness, 85% of physical illness is caused by or worsened by stress. So we need to consider, and this is kind of my overall thing tonight, we need to consider how stress affects our health, and hear me, and how it's affecting the health of our family and the people around us. Because if you think that what you're going through and how you respond to what you're going through is only affecting you and you've got close members and close family members around you, you are sadly mistaken. Okay? And so we need to consider that. Anxiety is the worst result of stress. 
Everyone deals with stress in their lives. Stress is not something that only certain people deal with it. Everybody deals with stress. In fact, people deal with stress somewhat regularly. And, that, and a lot of stresses are dealt with. Are, they dealt with and they go away. You get through them, it's over. They're momentary. Every one of us deal with that. But anxiety is chronic stress. It's stress that is not resolved. It's the worst result of stress. Okay? So the prayer direction that is given to us in Philippians 4, 6 is immensely helpful. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. He begins with that. He wants to drive home the point. Look, this is possible. He's not saying that there's something wrong with you if you struggle with it. He's not saying that that no believer has ever struggled with it. He's talking to believers. But he makes a declaration of faith at the very beginning. He says, look, it's possible that you can be anxious for nothing. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to live with anxiety uh, in your life, uh, overwhelming your life. He says, but in everything, and that's key, Because one of the reasons why we deal with anxiety is because we have too much stress in certain situations. And one of the reasons why we have too much stress in situations is because we're leaving God out of certain situations. There are things that we we can get into this miserable lie that it's okay to let God in some areas of our life but not let God in other areas of our life. And that's a miserable lie of the devil because whatever you let God into, God's going to bless and God's going to help and God's going to strengthen and God's going to give you direction. But if you leave God out of something, you're on your own. Right? You're on your own. And so he says, in everything, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Prayer, this first word, this first reference to prayer, has got built into the word, the idea of worship. And I think that's very important. You're going to hear me say that a lot tonight. There's some very important keys that we need to understand. This is, what did Paul say? He says, the things you have learned, do. So that's the same thing that applies to us in the church today. If we don't learn it, we're not going to do it. So when we're talking about this stuff, we've got to try to write it down. We've got to learn it. We've got to get it so we can do it. Prayer, the beginning, includes the idea of worship. That's important because it illustrates the attitude we should have. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but you need to go to God in prayer. But that word prayer is talking about prayer, including worship. So he's talking about an attitude. He's saying, you need to go to God with an attitude that I'm going to worship God no matter how I'm feeling right now. I need to go to God with, with, with a, a mindset that he's worthy of my worship whether I'm having an an anxiety attack, whether I'm dealing with stress, whether I'm feeling really down, whether I'm feeling really discouraged, or whether I'm having a great day. I need to understand worship is not about my feelings. Worship is about who God is. Amen. And so he talks about that. He talks about supplications, which is like making your petition known, thanksgiving, which we understand, gratitude, and then he talks about requests. 
And, and we'll get to that. So supplications and petitions, they give a strong sense of urgency, a strong sense of passion. Once again, our attitude about this communication with God matters. If I really want to deal with the issues of my life, I need to go to prayer, and I need to worship God, and then I need to go after it. Amen. What does the Bible say? The effectual, fervent prayers avail much, right? That's not just, you understand, he's not just saying, look, whoever is the loudest gets the blessing. It's a spiritual intensity. It's a desire. It's where it's coming from. Because you can pray absentmindedly, but it's where it's coming from. It's your desire to get something. Lord, I'm coming after this. I'm making my petitions known unto you. I don't want to deal with this anymore. You are God alone, and there's none like you, and you are able to deal with this, and I'm going to pray and seek and go after it. Amen. And and, and our attitude mattering, uh, that's not... um, it's not out of the ordinary, by the way. You remember 2 Corinthians 9, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So our attitude matters to God because it tells him it's a, it's a, it's a, it exemplifies, it illustrates our true desire, right? This, nobody in the room, but let me just say, it's possible that some people don't want to let go. It's possible that some people don't want to get better. Now, just take it out of the world of anxiety and take it into other worlds. Have you ever met somebody that had an issue that seemed like they just couldn't live without their issue? That they didn't want their issue to change? That they always wanted to have that because that was always their justification? That was always their justification. Oh, I'd love to do it, but I have this. I I, I would be better, but I have this. I could do this, but I have that. And so it's important that our attitude in our prayer is reflective of what we really want. Amen. You say, well, nobody else knows. It don't matter what anyone else knows. God knows. God knows. All right. Why does the attitude matter? Because it's a reflection of our faith. You've got to remember now that faith is not based upon what we can see. It's not based upon what we can touch. It's not based upon what we can feel, right? The famous verse is not really a description of faith, but it's, a, it's an understanding. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of what? Things not seen. So even when we are dealing with anxiety, we should still have our faith. Say, well, pastor, I've got anxiety. I don't have any faith. Your faith is not affected by what you have. You understand what I'm saying? 
my faith is not affected by what I have or what I don't have because my faith is not affected by what I have or I don't have. It's affected by things that I believe. It's affected by the things I can't even see. Things that I hope for. That's my faith. So if something that I actually am dealing with causes me to lose my faith, then I don't understand faith. And I need to get an understanding of what faith is. And so when we're dealing with it, the ability to operate in faith, even when we don't see or feel that the answer is there or coming, this is a key to living this life because it affects, this is why it's key, because it affects our attitude and our approach to God in prayer. And Paul is saying, look, there's a way to go to God to deal this with, so you don't have to deal with anxiety, and you don't have to be about anxious about everything. There's a way to go to God about it. But our faith must be intact, or else we're not going to be able to go to God correctly about it. So if our faith is something that we switch out, uh, I'm having a great day, I have great faith. I'm having a bad day, I don't have any, I don't have any faith. That's a misunderstanding of how faith works. Uh, faith is faith. Faith is God is able. I believe God's going to do it. I may be sick now, but God can heal me. I may not know the answer, but God's going to provide it for me. Because I have faith. I have faith. Paul reminds us then, he says, you need to communicate your thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving is, is a keystone habit. I don't know if you've ever, ever heard this terminology before, but it's a, it's a keystone habit. The keystone is the stone. If you're making a stone arch and you're, you're building up a stone arch from one side to the other side, the keystone is the stone right in the middle. Now, the keystone doesn't carry any weight but it's positioned perfectly to make the whole arch stand. If you remove the keystone, it all falls down. So when you think about that, I want you to think about thanksgiving and having gratitude because thankfulness affects a vast amount of areas in our life. And communicating thankfulness is a direct way to combat anxiety. All right, well, give it a try, then we can, I'll say it later, and then we can all amen. Wasn't a whole lot of belief in that statement I just made, but it's true. There's an article that was published by many outlets. There's a lot of articles on this subject. In fact, if you want to do a deep dive, do it. But uh, there's one that was published by a lot called The Neuroscience of Gratitude, and it has a lot to say about what being thankful does for us, including, this is just one little paragraph. It says, gratitude can be a natural antidepressant. When we take the time to ask what we are grateful for, certain neural circuits are activated. Pr production of dopamine and serotonin increases, and these neurotransmitters then travel neural pathways to the bliss center of the brain, similar to the mechanisms of many antidepressants. Practicing gratitude, therefore, can be a way to naturally create the same effects of medications and create feelings of contentment. And you can read that study. It's the, the neuroscience of gratitude. And so, see, Paul reinforces the idea of this gratitude, being thankful, of communicating our supplications with 
thanksgiving. Now, look, you've, I've said it, you've heard it, people have told you, you know, make, get a pen and paper and start writing down. Uh, there are people, I, just studying out this uh, lesson, I found that there's, there's whole groups of people that, that look at thankfulness like other people look at dieting or healthy eating. That they won't, they won't even like get out of bed in the morning until they got a pen and a piece of paper and they sit there and they'll write down 15 things that they're thankful for because it changes their whole day. And if you need some help with that, just type it into Google because there's like 10 ways to be thankful, 14 ways to show your gratitude. I found one that said 251 reasons to be thankful and I thought, there you go, that's all you need, 251. <laughs> just pick one a day. 251 reasons to be, to be thankful. How many know we've all got plenty of reasons to be thankful? But let me tell you something about when you're in and you're dealing with anxiety. When you're struggling with anxiety, it's very hard. It's like when someone is dealing with anxiety, the thankfulness portion is like it starts to, it, it's hard to see it. It's hard to hear it. It's hard to say it for them. But notice now. Some of what we're talking about tonight is how you have some of the things you can do when you're dealing with anxiety. But thankfulness is not just something you can do when you're dealing with it, even though you might have to force yourself to start, but it's something you can do prior to. Amen? You can do some things prior to the anxiety coming in, and you can help to, to head that off, if I could say it that way. So Paul reinforces the idea that we're making requests known unto God. I always like to point that out to people. We are making requests, not demands. Amen? We don't make demands of God. We don't ever make demands of God. All right? Amen. We are demonstrating faith. Now, you can, you can make your request boldly, but that boldness has to come from a bold faith, not a, I'm going to be loud because maybe God will do it because I got loud. Right? I believe in demonstrative prayer, demonstrative praise, demonstrative worship, but it's not because I think I'm somehow going to intimidate God into giving me what I want. Right? He's God, right? But this is not all that Paul gives us on the subject in these verses. See, this, these, these verses are what a lot of people would go to, and they'll say, you just need to look at uh, Philippians 4 and 6. But that's not all that he gives us. There's, there's a whole lot more going on around the subject. He says that we need to moderate our thought life. If I say my thought life. God promise us, promises to give us peace as we alter our thinking. Philippians 4, 7, 8, look at it again. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. That sounds good, doesn't it? And then he keeps going. Finally, whatsoever things are true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on. Think on these things. God is promising to give us peace, but we might have to alter our thinking to achieve it. He instructs the church to do the things that they had seen him do. Verse 9. 
learned, heard, seen, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So you have to alter your thinking. You have to consider what you are thinking about. Have you ever, have you ever just been somewhere, you know, just sitting on the couch or passenger in a car or, you know, whatever, and you, you're just kind of like, how, how long have I been? You've just been like in another world for a little while? Just in your head, right? You ever have somebody say, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I was in my head. <laughs> we, if we would really take a close look at what we're thinking about and how much we're thinking about it, I think we would be surprised. I, I just... You can't think about negativity for hours out of a day and not be negative. You can't think constantly that everyone hates you and still see the good in people. If all you ever think about is the people that have let you down, you're probably not going to see the people who have helped you out. And frankly, if you think long and hard enough about not feeling good, eventually you don't start, you start not feeling too good. Right? It was like the pastor, I was watching a pastor, one of our UPC pastors, I was watching an online service the other day, and, and he was talking about... Uh, COVID, I'm sorry, I don't even like to say it. He was talking about COVID. He says he was in a car and he was on a trip with some other pastors and he said they were just all having fun. They'd had a great weekend and they were having fun and they were driving home and laughing and talking and, and one pastor got a phone call and he heard, oh, you know, the family in my church, you know, that I was just with on Sunday, they got diagnosed with COVID. The other pastor got a phone call 10 minutes later and said, oh yeah, a sister or somebody that I was just with this past got diagnosed with COVID. And the pastor that was preaching said, he's like, I was having fun. And then he said, he said, I, I, I promise in the next 10 miles, I, I felt every symptom for COVID that a person could feel. My throat started getting scratchy. And I thought, do I have, I feel a little fever coming on. And I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I bet there's a huge percentage of people in this room that have dealt with that in the last couple of months. Everything's COVID. Stub your toe, it's COVID. <laughs> and so you can't think, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about thinking on the right things. And we need to take inventory over what we spend our time thinking about. Okay, I think I made the point. So he, so you need to learn from him. He said, look, you've learned some things, you've received some things, you've heard some things, you've seen in me, so now do them, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now this is a little bit contrary to the way that some people would approach anxiety. 
the lie of anxiety is that no one else could possibly understand what you are dealing with. Okay? That's a lie. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. But it's a lie. And therefore, because people believe the lie that no one else could possibly understand what I'm dealing with, therefore, attempts to help you often are pushed away. Now you try to help someone who's dealing with it and they don't, you don't understand. You couldn't understand. What are you supposed to do at that point? If someone looks you in the face and says, you could never understand what I'm going through, you can't help me, even if you can help them. You can't help them. You can't get help if you won't let someone help. I know this is different tonight, but it's still true. In fact, sometimes people who deal with anxiety, they believe that nobody else could possibly ever understand, that it's worse for them than it is for anybody else, that nobody's ever dealt with what they're dealing with, understand what they're going through. And when you try to help them, you're, you're almost reviled because how dare you say that you could understand or how dare you think that you could even help me? Who are you? Now, I want to just do this for a second. Just do this with me. I want you to think of anxiety for a second. Just for a minute, I want you to think of anxiety as not some supremely powerful emotional or physical sickness or issue. I want you to think of anxiety. Just do this little illustration with me, whether you agree or not. I want you to think of it as a weapon used to destroy your life. I want you to think of it as a weapon against you. And I want you to just think about this. What better weapon could be designed? Because it affects your emotions, which then affects your mind, which also affects then your physical body. Anyone dealt with anxiety knows that can be true if it gets bad enough. But that's not all it does. It leads you to believe that your situation is different and worse than anyone else. And it convinces you, if you let it go long enough, it convinces you no one can help you and it drives you to isolation. It is a well-designed weapon to destroy if it's allowed to run its course. Which is why you cannot accept it as a permanent way of your life. Now, you, can, you, can, you don't have to think about it that way if you want. I know there's medical diagnosis. I know there's medications. You know my stance on that. I'm not against doctors. I'm not against medications. I think we need to use everything wisely and go to God first before we do anything else. But just think about it that way for a second that it could be a weapon because if it's a weapon, I've got another verse that says, no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. See, how I think about something makes a difference 
Because if it's not a weapon formed against me, if it's just something that's happened to me and I have no control over it whatsoever, and this is just my body, it's the way my brain is wired or whatever you want to call it, if that's what it is, well then fine. Then you go, what? I've got, we've got verses about healing then, don't we? But as long as it's something that is inescapable, you can't do anything about it, and this is just the way it's going to be, then there's nothing that you can do about it. But if you start to look at it and understand that my God is greater than anything I've ever dealt with, my God is going to be greater than anything that might come into my life, and there is nothing my God cannot do, then there is a scripture upon scripture upon scripture in the Bible to back up your faith, and that will cause God to come to work in your life. We pray, we work, we learn, we do as Paul said. Philippians 4.9, he says, do it. Paul exemplified it. It was an altered thought life. He is writing these verses from prison. He's not just like some guy setting up in a fancy house just being like, this is what I think you should do. He's writing about dealing with anxiety from prison. And he's able to say from prison in Philippians 4 and 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Oh, hallelujah. He has an altered thought process. He's had a transformation of his mind. And it's extremely beneficial. Our hearts influence the way we speak. All right, let me speed up here. We know this, Luke 6, 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the what? Of the heart, his mouth speaketh. We know that verse. We understand that the words that come out of our mouths, they don't start there. They come from our heart. But did you also know that our words also in turn affect our heart? Proverbs 4 and 4, he taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandment and live. He spoke to me words. He taught me with his words. And with his words, he said, you need to retain, you need to keep what I am saying in your heart. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Our heart affects our words. Words affect our heart. So if that's the case, it's a circular effect that can work for us or it can work against us. Our heart and the words that we speak can work for us or they can work against us. Now there is a guy who lived in the 1800s and I think his name is Emile, but I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like Emile Koo. That's his last name. Cow, Co. I don't know. All I know, this is what I know. This is the important part. He was a pharmacist who introduced a method of psychotherapy that is basically auto-suggestion. 
It was speaking positively out loud to yourself on a regular basis. And so his simple method was, he would have people say this multiple times a day. This is what they would say. Every day and in every way, I am becoming better and better. That's his thing. That's it. That was his thing. He was a pharmacist too, but this was what he's known for. Every day and in every way, I am becoming better and better. And he would tell people, you need to say that to yourselves multiple times a day. Now, I'm not telling you to go do a deep dive into everything that Dr. Kuo ever said or wrote. I'm not, it's not my illustrative point. But I do believe in the power of positive speech. I believe that it has power to affect us and that it's helpful. We know our words can tear down, right? We know that they can build up. We know that. That's biblical. So we have a choice to make. Are my words going to tear down or are they going to build up? Scripture talks to us about it, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So don't let it come out of your mouth unless it's going to be edifying, unless it's going to be helpful, unless it's going to minister grace. That could be a whole Bible study. We should just take that and we should remember that. But if we can minister grace unto hearers, can't we minister grace unto ourselves? If what I say to other people can affect them that much, then how much can what I say to myself affect me? I would say that we are very important hearers. That what we say to ourselves is of tremendous value or can be of tremendous value or it could be of great detriment. David and his warriors were away from Ziklag. You remember this? He goes and he takes his warriors and they leave their family and their kids and, and their nice homes and their community and then Ziklag and they go. And the enemy comes out of nowhere and they burn the city to the ground and they burn their homes to the ground and they kidnap their wives and their children and it's horrible and it's tragic. In 1 Samuel 36, and David was greatly distressed. Yes, that makes sense. In fact, earlier it says that everybody was greatly distressed to the point that they wailed out loud and they cried until there was no tears left and that is human and we understand that and we all get it. They came back to their city burned, their houses pillaged, their wives and children are missing. And David is greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. That's very key to what happens next. Their soul was grieved. David was grieved. He was grieved. But it says their soul was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. Now, there's something that he has that they don't got because the same tragedy happened to them all. In fact, it was about to get worse for David, for David they got stones in their hand about to kill him. One commentator said it like this. They took all patiently and exercised, he took it all patiently and exercised faith on his God. He encouraged himself in the power and providence of God and in the promises of God and in his faithfulness in keeping them. In a view of his 
covenant relationship to God in remembrance of the grace, mercy, and goodness of God and his former experiences of those things with God, hoping and believing that God would appear for him in some way or another and work salvation for him. What what they're saying is David's response to tragedy and his ability to regroup and to refocus and to move forward was not some superpower that he had because he was something more than a human being. It was his long-term relationship with his God. His long-term relationship with God said, look, this is horrible, this is devastating, but I know my God, and I know my God is faithful, and I know my God is always in control, and I know my God is not taken blindsided by this, and I believe my God is able to get us out of this. That's the difference. And so because of that, while others were ready to make the matter worse, have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever been in a situation, you ever had a day or a week or a month where it was just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing? Have you ever been in the midst of bad things and you made it worse? Because you did something, said something, or acted in some way that made it worse than it actually was even needing to be. These men were in a position where they didn't have to do what they were about to do, but they were so distraught to the very depths of their soul that they picked up stones and they were about to kill David with those stones. So David's got no wife, no family, no no soldiers on his side, nobody there to give his back. And so David encouraged himself. He encouraged himself, but he didn't just do that. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He said, well, I'll just put on some good old music and, and I'll just go get some ice cream and, and uh, I'll watch a funny movie and everything will be all right. No, it ain't. Not if you really got issues going on. Not if you're really struggling, it ain't. But if you encourage yourself in the Lord, Right? In the Lord. So we have to think on some things. Think on the things that are true. Think on these things. That phrase is one way that we speak to ourselves. I do believe that saying things out loud is helpful. But the majority of the time we speak to ourselves by thinking. Right? We're thinking. That's how we're speaking to ourselves. But you need to be cautious. If I say caution, your heart can spot a fake. Your heart knows when you're lying. Everything's great. Your heart's like, no, it's not. I feel wonderful. No, you don't. This is why he begins with whatsoever things are true. Lies don't help us. Lies don't help us. Whether from some outside source or from our own lips, lying does not help us. True and positive statements help us. And true and positive statements have a good source, the word of God. You can call up a friend and say, look, I'm just feeling horrible. Say a bunch of nice things about me. 
And as long as they're true, it might be helpful. But if you ask them to tell you a lie to make you feel better, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. He says, I, the, the, true and positive statements in the word of God. So let's, let's just look at one of them. All right, we're good. Let me look, just look at this one. Paul actually makes this statement, which is very widely known and very uplifting, just a little bit later. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now that's a bold statement, isn't it? That is a bold, bold statement. But you want to, this is interesting to me. In this context, up above, in verse eight, he's talking about whatsoever's true, whatsoever's lovely, whatsoever's pure, thinking all these things. He's, he's teaching them how they need to think. But by the time we get to verse 13, the context has changed. He's really not telling them what to do anymore. He's actually talking about himself and he's actually talking about his own situation. This is how he lived. Do you understand what I'm saying? This isn't something he said, you know what, I'm preaching to the church in Philippi next week and I came up with this great line. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's my title. This is not Paul just coming up with some, some cool catchphrase that people are going to be like, yeah, that's awesome. This is Paul actually saying this to himself in his life. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Set in a prison cell. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He's not a free man. He's been beaten. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. This is the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul would talk to himself about. Now I gotta ask you a question. Do you talk to yourself like that? Or do you hear yourself saying a whole lot of, I'm not good for much. I'm good for nothing. I can't do it. I ain't going to make it. Things are going to get worse. Is that sound more familiar? Or does I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? Sound familiar. This is what he meant by you need to do what I'm illustrating for you to do. Another example, Isaiah 53, 5. This, I'll only give two. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. This verse keeps the perspective right. This verse is powerful. Let me tell you something. It is always a lie that God doesn't care about what you're going through. Always. Somebody say always. Oh, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't see me. God doesn't understand me. God's left me. God, I don't know where God's at. It is always a lie of the devil that God doesn't care what you're going through. It is always a lie that God can't help us with our situation, even if our situation is indeed as unique as we think it is, which most of the time it is not at all. There are countless people under the sun who are going through what you've been through or even worse possibly than what you're going through but it is always a lie that God can't help us with our situation God can help us with our situation God is always able to do anything that he wants to do he already paid the price for our healing he never needs to prove his love or his ability to love us again never 
Never. So when you hear your voice in your brain say, God doesn't love me, you are lying to yourself. And it ain't helpful. It ain't helpful. So those are just two verses, just two that you could recite over and over and over again. Every day in every way, I am getting better and better. Now that's something, you could try that too. But I think I'd rather say I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. There's a great verse that's somewhat popular, Psalm 1911, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, right? But I want you to look how David connects his heart with his words and then we'll be done. Psalm 119, the next verse through 16. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. See, God spoke. It was in his heart. It was in David's heart. And then David spoke what was in his heart. God spoke it into his heart. And then David spoke it with his own lips. There's something about hearing your own self say, this is going to work. God is able. God loves me. Right? I'm going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. He says, with my lips have I declared the judgments of my, thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as, it all, as, as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. I will not forget thy word. This word speaks to us and it affects our heart. And David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. David said, I got some things in my heart and I'm going to say them out loud because that's what I want. He declared it. He rejoiced in it. He meditated on it. And we looked at David's ability to survive some devastation in his life on Sunday. We talked about that on Sunday. His life experiences could have easily led him to be destroyed. He could have, by today's standards, would have been a prime candidate to struggle with anxiety. Right? Sure. Sure. Two times in his life he has to go on the run. One is from the, the king who just earlier before that loved him. And the next time he's running from his own son who's trying to steal his throne. He had a wife at one point that despised him because he worshiped the Lord. And he had to deal with his mistakes that caused people their lives. He was a prime candidate to live with devastating anxiety. But his own heart and his own words were working together to lift him up. And his own heart and his own words were inviting God to work on him and help him and strengthen him. 
I'm not standing here tonight to tell anybody that what you're going through is not real. I'm telling you that what you're going through can be gotten through. That's what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you it's not real. I'm not telling you it's fake. I'm not telling you you made it up. I'm not saying any of that. I'm telling you that when you're going through something, you got to keep on going and you got to keep calling on the name of Jesus and you got to get back in the book and you got to think on the right things and pray the right way. There are ways to get through. And don't let the devil convince you that you have to live in anything. Stand with me tonight, if you would, please. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.